Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, what's going on? No Bad Dog Army. Uh, This is a podcast. Uh, I've done this before, but basically I have the No Bad Dog Members Club, which is essentially you guys. It's it's the community inside the Members Club. And what that is, is you guys are seeing all my unreleased stuff. So this is, we do, every week I do a live Q&A to answer specific dog training questions. And a lot of these questions are really beneficial and I hate not recording them. Um, But I also don't want to put these out every single week because um, the members club costs a little bit of money to be in because you get all the benefits. You basically get everything that I do uncut and all that stuff. And it's just a great community. All the people in there are lovely and you get a bunch of benefits. If you guys are interested in supporting the No Bad Dog movement, even if you're not interested in all the uncut footage and the post and the Tom's Journal and the community, you guys can support the No Bad Dog movement by uh, joining that. I don't have a Patreon, so if you want to help us, you want to join us, you guys can join that. Link is in the description below. We go over, I don't know, probably 15 dog-related questions going over everything from what to do if your dog is reactive to other people in the car, what to do if you've done everything you possibly can with your dismantlement exercises and corrections and still nothing is working. We also go over what to do with working dogs. Uh, we, we go over a lot in this podcast. So I know it's going to be beneficial for you guys. There's a lot of en- a lot of good information packed into here. Um, we're not going to do any questions because this is a full podcast on questions. So I'll get to some of your questions uh, on the next podcast. But thank you guys so much for listening. Um, As always, I appreciate you guys. And we're about to go to Canada. I'm excited. Make sure you guys watch us on Instagram and all the other stuff to see the behind the scenes. And I'll talk to you guys later. Enjoy. We're going to get into some of these questions. Um, Yeah, let's do it. First one comes from Giselle. Martinez. Hey, Tom. I have a one-year-old, seven-month-old Husky Pit Mix who we have been dealing with territorial aggression inside the home. We've had some success with managing it with muzzle training, everyone ignoring him, and he will eventually relax and even fall asleep. Can territorial aggression stem to around our neighborhood where we walk him? Recently, we've noticed he tries to lunge at people when we walk around the neighborhood. If we take him to a neutral territory like a park or a trail or downtown, he completely ignores people and will walk next to us. Any advice on what to do to manage this on his walks in our neighborhood? I'm thinking he's starting to claim in the neighborhood as his territory because we walk the same path two or three times daily except 
when we drive to different parks? So the answer is yes. Um, Giselle, your dog can definitely uh, get possessive of... So uh, something that is interesting to me is dogs are very uh, habit-forming creatures by nature. And I always tell people that dogs don't know your property like that you bought from the town. Dogs don't understand like, okay, to the left is the Joneses, to the right is the whatever, and these are their properties, that's theirs, this is ours. Like wherever your dog is spending the most time because they're animals is where they're going to say like, okay, this is my area and it could be your whole neighborhood it could be just your yard um so they don't know obviously property lines and things like that so absolutely dogs can can definitely get possessive over where you spend the most time so if you're walking two or three times a day um then yes your dog is going to get territorial um and I would just say, Giselle, like there's a lot of things. Um, I know that we've done a members tutorial on uh, handling. There's a live that we did um, a couple weeks ago that I brought out to my kitchen that we went over to at the end in depth about how to handle dogs reacting uh, at the home. I know we have some podcasts as well that go over this. So I would recommend also checking out those resources for more in-depth conversations about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that, I mean, somebody comes into the house, your dog goes, Hey, somebody's here. They get reactive. They get aggressive. They act aggressive, but they're not, who knows? Uh, and then your job is to dismantle that. So your dog could be insecure. Your dog could be fearful. Uh, your dog could be protective. Your dog could have not so good environmentals or whatever the case may be. Um, but your objective is to simply teach the dog, um, you know, how to behave in these scenarios with, with a lot of outletting and control of here, here's what I want you to do instead. Uh, I want you to come over here. I want you to place, I want you to stay. I want you to leave it. Um, making sure that the dog has proper mental and physical outlets, uh, making sure that you're not having the people just come into your house, having them meet outside the house. There's actually a podcast I did uh, probably two or three episodes ago about how to stop an aggressive dog when people come to the house. That's an amazing podcast for you specifically about this exact question of not necessarily like the neighborhood reactivity, but how do you handle uh, a dog that reacts uh, at the door? So I hope that that helps and I hope that that gives you some resources Um to, to handle these things. Next one comes from uh, Kristen Schofield. Hey, Tom, turns out I'm raising a sneak instead of a three-year-old. Uh, have been, have seen improvements on other impulsive. However, he thinks I'm totally out of sight and busy. He will sneak out of place and scoot back down. I'm returning or he thinks I am. Seems he has uh, nowhere, seems he has to know where I am at all times. I've caught him a few more times when I would be scampering back to place. Do you have any thoughts on how I can stop the occasional dark shadow or sulking in the corner? Um, I'm not sure. Do you have any thoughts on how I can stop the occasional dark shadow sulking in the corner? Um, I don't know what that means. I'm going to answer the question about I think we've we've covered this a couple times. Um, this just means that your obedience isn't good enough to get away. Uh, I know a couple weeks ago we answered this question as well, um, specifically with this dog. So if your dog is getting up and trying to get to you, 
um, or is sneaking off as you're doing obedience, that just means that your obedience isn't good enough to accomplish those goals. So your distance and your duration and potentially your distractions that you're putting into this dog because your dog continues to fail or is consistently or inconsistently like getting off, that just means that your dog doesn't know it well enough. And so if we talk about like, well, he's just getting up because he misses me or he's just getting up because I'm in the other room or that's what obedience is. That's all obedience is. Obedience is, is a form of compulsion. Essentially, if you look at the definition of compulsion, which I um, have talked about a couple different times, it just means to force an animal to do something that they don't want to do. So if we put a dog into a place and we walk away and they want to come with this, that's compulsion by definition, but it's also just a form of obedience. So, um, I would just say that you have to work on your obedience because your dog is continuing to fail, um, or at least is inconsistent with the success of those things. Um, and as far as the sulking, like, I don't know what that means. Um, the dark shadow sulking I've never heard before. So I think if it's, if it comes into regard of when you come back into the room and your dog, um, kind of like runs back and is like, oops, I'm in trouble. Yeah, that's normal. So next one, Terry Stone, what are your thoughts on wireless fencing? Is that just Halo or Spot On? I'm not familiar with Spot On. I'm familiar with Halo. I've had a couple of different meetings with the owners of Halo and worked with them a little bit on um, some ideas, but I don't have any particulars. Um, I, I think that they can be good. Um, it's a little bit different than remote collar training, um, but it is, yeah, it's good. I think it's good. Uh, Halo, I, again, I'm not familiar with Spot On, but I know Halo is a pretty nifty unit that allows you to control your dog um, or at least put like wire. So for those of you who don't know it, like you can you can put a wire fence. I'm sorry, a manual fence wherever you are with your dog. And at, when they're wearing the collar, like say you go to a friend's house, um, you could put up your wire fence and put the dog like out back and you'll get alerted. And you can also send, you can also set like different detections on the dog. It's pretty cool, like tracking system, but it also like sets up an invisible fence. So, uh, I think it's good. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. It's definitely better than nothing. That's for freaking sure. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Um, I think it's beneficial. I think it's cool. Um, I think it's great that we're continuing to grow the technology advancements with, uh, using dogs and technology together. I think it's brilliant. So, um, yeah, Susan Smith, uh, the benefits of an e-collar for off-leash work makes a lot of sense, but would you please explain in what situations you would recommend an e-collar instead of a prong collar when the owner does not intend to do off-leash work? Um, the benefits of an e-collar for off-leash work makes a lot of sense, but would you please explain in what situations you would recommend e-collar instead of a prong collar when the owner does not intend to do off-leash work? I would say that the only way that I would be using the remote collar, um, it would be, um, so in replace of the prong collar, you can use the remote collar. So if you're walking with, I just had this so there's intervention training, which is just using the pager on the e-collar to correct a dog. So my Tom Davis Dogtra 280C has an intense pager on it, which we actually just did a video on and how to use it pr properly. I had two individuals coming in that had two dogs that are way out of their league. I had a Tibetan Mastiff um, with an older disabled gentleman. And then I had a big, um, and both of these dogs have a bite history. And then I have a big German Shepherd 
um, that uh, is with somebody who has some health issues. Um, and both of these dogs have a bite history and both of these dogs overpower their owners. So the options are for dogs like this, uh, unfortunately, is likely euthanasia or um, that's really it, uh, unfortunately, management. And, and, you know, and so we talked about the e-collar and these benefits, but um, you could replace the e-collar. You can play. So, so the e-collar, the harness, the gentle leader, the prong collar, the plastic pinch, all these things are all tools. Some of these tools are for particular jobs. Some of them are not. Some of them will work for certain things and some of them are not, right? So if I said, hey, I need a ladder and somebody went and got me a ruler, I'd say, this is a tool, but this is the wrong tool for the job that I need. And that's where we find a lot of dog owners struggling with is they have a dog that's the, that is pulling them down the road and they're on a harness. And the harness, as we all know, is to literally have a dog pull safely. That's what it's for. So you're, you're showing up when you need a ladder with a ruler. doesn't make any sense. It's not going to work for you. Doesn't mean the rule doesn't work. Doesn't mean the harness doesn't work. It just means for what you're doing, it doesn't work. It's not applicable. Can't use it. So when you have somebody like these two individuals that I was just speaking of, where they physically can't hold on to their dog that could potentially be aggressive, we're replacing the correction with the e-collar. And that's the benefit of it is you can push a button because some of these people can't hold on to their dogs physically. The dog will go. And so they're screwed. And that's why it breaks devastatingly, harshly breaks my heart when I see any country, city, county ban remote collars. These individuals, these owners who desperately love their dog and is looking for help are going to have to kill their dogs. They're going to have to put their dogs down in scenarios where you can't use a remote collar to push a button because they're disabled or whatever the case may be, uh, devastating to these individuals. Um, other, you know, outside of the fact of dogs not being able to go off leash safely anymore. So the death toll will rise um, because of this, unfortunately. So not to mention all the dogs that are going to end up in the shelters because the lack of training ability from dog owners is not good. And that's what a dog trainer's job is, is to make a dog owner understand how to handle their dog. At least that's my job. So those are the benefits of the remote collar for if you're not going to do off leash work, I can say, hey, hit this button. If your dog tries to drag you or tries to aggressively react and it'll stop what your dog is doing at an instant with that button push. So we're coming out with that video um, in the next couple of weeks. So we are going in depth on that and showing you those two examples of that Tibetan as well as that uh, German Shepherd. So, all right, next one comes from Nia MF. Um, all right, me and my boyfriend adopted a mutt a month ago. He will turn a year. Um, he's a mix between Shiba Inu. We fostered him in December due to my surgery. He went back to the first foster mom. He's absolutely food driven. Um, okay. In a flat, in the flat, he is barking at noises he hears from the hallway. We always try to redirect him and put him in his place or his bed and then wait until he calms down. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. He also barks if someone comes in the flat, he growls, and then he smells them and he's okay. We are also having a summer house with a big garden and a fence. 
That sounds nice. And when we are here, he does see somebody coming out in the streets. He barks and growls sometimes. In that moment, we are unsure of what to do. So first of all, I'll just answer this question. He sounds like to me like he's a street dog kind of mutt, kind of mixed thing. All these things are normal. He's like, hey, he's, he's letting everyone know, hey, somebody's here. I'm alerting. That's what dogs do. Hey, somebody's here. I'm alert barking. That's what, that's what you're dealing with. Very common. Very common. Not a big deal. But right now, you're not correcting the behavior. So... Your dog is doing something that you find obviously to be disrupting your relationship with your dog as well as your sanity um, when somebody decides to live and exist outside or in the flat. Um, So you got to correct it. You got to teach them that that's not good. Positive punishment. Say, hey, nope. Discouraging, right? So when we talk about positive reinforcement, we're trying to encourage things to happen again in the future. Positive punishment is to discourage things to happen again in the future. Right now, if you're not adding any punishment, it's the same equation to my dog won't learn how to sit because you're asking the dog to sit and you're looking away. They never get paid. They never get direction. They never get any roadmap from you. You just say something out out loud and they don't do it. Then you move on. You ask them to do it again. And they're not capturing and understanding clearly what you're asking. It's the same exact thing for behaviors you want to discourage. Right now, you're not doing anything to correct the dog from what you have told me so far. So that's the first thing I would do. Um, he started to be very vocal last two weeks before he could let us eat in peace. Now he will bark when we eat. Uh, we never feed him from the table. Now I always give him a, uh, now I always give him a lick mat or a Kong to be distracted. Sometimes in the car, very calm, chill. Sometimes he's barking and wants out. If you stop, he doesn't want to pee or poop. Um, um, uh, so again, like there's no punishment involved here. So there's no reason for him to, to stop any of this. Um, he's just going to continue to do this until you give him what he wants, which he's getting that lick mat. So he's trained you, uh, from what I'm reading, I did change his, uh, um, he's just barking and wants out, um, in the car and yeah, so this has nothing to do with his diet. Um, he just is training you. He does something, you do something in return. He then learns how to get what he wants. If you're in the car and he's habitually barking and you pull over and he stops, thank you very much, he says. I'll take it from here. You put him back in the car. He starts. It's like a kid that's whining. Gimme, 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 gimme. You give him ice cream, he finishes that. Gimme, 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 gimme. Give him uh, chocolate. Gimme, 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 gimme. Boom. So he's barking at the table. You pay him with a lick mat. He's barking in the car. You give him a break. All these things you're creating. Um, same with going to places, uh, he would chill and now we're at coffee shops and he will bark. It's because you've paid him for barking with lick mats likely, and you're not doing anything about it. So if your dog goes, ruff, 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 and you look and you go, shh, stop, stop, no, don't stop. Don't. He's like, yeah, that's not going to work. So you have to be more assertive than that. Uh, he gets excited that we are going out. He bites on the leash. Once you drop the leash, he leaves it. Once we are trying to pick it up again, he, again, he bites it. Then he starts jumping. And in that case, um, and stepping into him or a leash pop, uh, do not help. How to calm him down. Um, uh, I'd have to know like what equipment you're using on the, the leash pop there and where you're um, at there. Uh, there are times when he, oops, there are times when he gets excited. Where are we? Sorry, guys. 
just all over that freaking place. Okay, here we go. There are times when he gets excited, and as mentioned in the point above, when he is excited, he doesn't care about anything. He is very stubborn. Leash walking is kind of fine. He is pulling, but we are getting better. I understand that the relationship may not be where it should be, and then he obeys more. Um, please help us. Uh, I guess everything comes from one thing, but we do need steps. So my my suggestion is, again, like I have a course called the No Bad Dog Kickstarter course, which is the first thing that anybody should do if they're working on behavioral problems with their dog. And it's also the first thing that anybody should do when they get a dog and they're wanting to reset their relationship. If you don't have the fundamental things that are in that course, you can't work on anything. So my suggestion is, is right now it seems like your dog's getting away with an awful lot and your dog's taking a considerable amount of advantage of over you. So he's doing something that you don't like. And, um, right now you're paying him for that. And I would stop all of that. Um, so you just have to be more assertive with that. So if he's in the car and he's barking, leave it. Boom. Correction. Leave it. Boom. Well, I'm driving. We'll have somebody sit in the back. Um, if you're at the table, I'd be putting him into a place downstay with a leash on. I'd be eating my dinner. And if he starts to bark, leave it. Boom. Leave it. Boom. Assertive. Teach him like he's just being a brat right now at this point. Um, that's what it seems like anyway. And again, these are all, you know, when I'm, whenever I'm doing these types of questions without interaction, um, I'm just taking the context of what you wrote and sometimes it doesn't come out the way that you meant. Um, but that's what it sounds like to me is he's kind of a wild dog and he's gotten away with an awful lot. And you're also paying him for things that you don't want him to do, which is confusing for him. And he's taking advantage of you fully. Um, so you'd have to work on all the foundation. Like if your dog doesn't have place and stay and leave it and all those things, you can't work on any of this stuff. You have no, um, things going on. Uh, and if he's dragging you down the road again, that's going to be really difficult. So I would recommend uh, getting the no bad dog Kickstarter course to put you into the right direction because there's a lot of fundamentals that you'll need to be successful. But at the end of the day, you're paying him when he's doing things you don't want him to do. And he's also not getting corrected or punished or being held accountable when he's doing all the stuff you don't want him to do. And that is an absolute recipe for a dog that won't listen, is uh, out of control, uh, you can't take anywhere, and is picking on you over and over again. Um, so I would check those boxes off and then uh, get back to us and let us know how it goes. James, hey, Tom, would love your – how would your methods differ from – how would your methods differ and adapt to training with dogs at the shelter? I know it would depend on the outcomes. Um, are there any macro approaches you would like to take to try to calm down, calm the energy dogs down before attempting actual training? Yeah, I would just do a lot of um, physical outletting. Um, that's like the best thing that you can do in situations like this is just, um, you know, playing ball with the dogs, uh, doing lures, prey pulls with the dogs. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do, uh, with the dog, uh, to get them outletted before you actually start training with them because the sheltered environment is really stressful and tough for them. So it's hard to get a dog into that state of mind. They're in a really bad place mentally, like being in prison. Uh, it's not a fun place for them to be in. And then when you get out and you say, Hey, I need you to listen to me they're not in the right state. And that's where you can get bit. That's where you can get attacked. Um, that's where you can, you know, really damage some of your relationships with the dog fundamentally. Um, so my suggestion is to do, um, any of that stuff, prey pull, um, luring, uh, fetch, um, um, those types of things to get some of that energy out to then start to, um, build that relationship with the dog. Uh, next part of that is I'm trying to train dogs or better prepare them for temporary life inside of a kennel environment and get them to focus on those distractions. Most of the dogs I'm seeing euthanized just out of stress environment, so they act out instead of the kennel. 
Um, many of the dogs aren't really aggressive at all. It's 100% the environment stress. Um, yep, that's what a shelter does. James, unfortunately, that's why it's, you know, shelters are a blessing and a curse because a lot of times dog owners are like, I'm not going to euthanize my dog. I'm just going to bring him to a shelter and they're going to get adopted. And that's not the case uh, at all. You know, a lot of times if you're having problems with your dog and then you pop them into a shelter just thinking that you're doing the right thing instead of, uh, you know, trying to find a, a family yourself or try to get training to try to help the problem. You just think like, well, we'll just trade this dog into the shelter, get a different one, um, and that dog is going to get adopted and we're going to be good. And you kind of look the other way. And the reality is, is if you can't handle your dog and you put them into a shelter, it's going to compound and get worse and the dog will ultimately likely be euthanized. So you're not doing any favors um, or taking any shortcuts by dropping a dog off to a shelter and trying out a different dog. Um, the best thing to do is to, you know, try to adopt the dog out to somebody else before they go to the shelter and or get some training to help. But yeah, um, that's what that's what it is. Thousands of dogs every hour. Great dogs, happy dogs, friendly dogs, puppies are getting killed all the time because the lack of room for them in the, in the world that we live in, training, um, tools to train with, um, all that stuff comes into consideration. Sucks, but yep. Uh, next one, Geneva. Hey, Tom, I'm a, I have a small problem. I'm trying to figure out how to counter with obedience. My two-year-old Aussie has never been much of a jumper. She usually does not like strangers, but when we get out of the truck to play ball, she starts jumping all over with excitement. Um, people she really likes um, so far are few and far in between, but the excitement was usually encouraged on their end. So correcting her jumping up to kiss them wasn't really fair or reasonable. Um, with the ball, should I get her out of the truck and work on her thresholds at the door? Yes, I would do that. Um, is there a better way to do it? It's usually just a short walk from the truck. Yeah, I would just put her on a leash. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I would do. Um, tried sitting for the ball yesterday and sh and that's fixed a lot of the jumping. So there you go. Cool. Sounds like you worked it out. Very good. Uh, next one comes from Ross. Hey Tom, what's your feeling on using the heel shaping boxes to help sit down and stay commands and possibly upcoming videos from you? Um, I think they're good. I've never used them and I'll be honest, like, um, I'm just so focused and my objective is typically uh, relationship and behavioral stuff that I don't get into the very fancy, not even fancy, but I don't get into the proper obedience, air quotes, um, only because my clients, that's going to be over their head. They just want a dog that isn't going to kill somebody or isn't going to react to somebody or um, whatever. So we don't get into those things only because it doesn't warrant that in my training. Um, but yeah, I think they're good. I've never used them, but I think that they could obviously uh, lend to teaching dogs uh, really proper obedience and and um, help shape that. But again, like my dog owners are coming in with way bigger problems than a sloppy sit. So it's just nothing that we really dive into. So, all right, next one comes from Peggy King. Hey, Tom, I rescued a three or four-year-old um, German Shepherd in September. When I first got him, he was calm for a German Shepherd. But um, when he started becoming more anxious, unfortunately, I know part of the problem is I suddenly had to start caring for grandkids and I'm gone six to eight hours. I've tried taking him and he's still out of control and being around the little ones, knocking them over. I worked with a really good trainer I've used before and it seems like Rigby will 
do well for a week, and then I'm back to square one. He has started pee and poop in the house. I keep him in the kitchen and dining area. I also started refusing to go into my backyard or potty play. I also want to mention that Rigby had a, a biopsy eight weeks ago and is still able to walk strong. I play fetch with him. What's the question here? Rigby lived in the shelter almost for two years. I know he's smart, but I just need help. I can any suggestions would be helpful. I'm 64, trying to do my best. Um, Peggy, it just seems like, to be honest with you, it seems like you just don't have time for this dog. Um, so there's a couple different options. Um, and I'll just be honest, you either rehome the dog because you don't have time. You're spending almost eight hours somewhere else. And that means that your awake time with this dog is very minimal. Um, and you know, if he's not getting the outletting that he needs, um, you're going to see that this is exactly what we were just talking about with the shelter stuff is you get a dog that needs attention, affection, mental and physical exercise. They don't get it. They become misbehaved. We put them into a shelter. Um, it compounds, it gets worse because now any freedom that they had is minimalized to a three by three kennel. Um, and they're in like the most stressful environment a dog can be in outside of underneath fireworks. And now they're a mess. So, um, it just seems like the, you, you virtually do not have enough time with this dog for it to be successful. If you're gone six to eight hours every day, or at least six to eight hours Monday through Friday, I mean, let's say you wake up at 7 a.m., 7 to 8 to 9 to 10 to 11 to 12 to 1 to 2 to 3. Let's just say you get back at, let's say you leave your house at 7, that gets you back at 3 to 4, depending on the day. Um, you know, you you have to put in the time. Um, and the other thing is too, uh, I would say just from experience, Peggy, is if your trainer can come into the equation and get your dog to listen really well, and then after a week things disappear, that just means that whatever you're doing isn't working for the dog sustainably. So if I came into the equation and I have this dog absolutely like to a T doing everything that we need and is really obedient around the grandkids and listens to us. And then I give the dog back to you and everything falls apart. That's because you're not following through with the training that this dog needs. We see this all the time in our board and train program where we have a dog that comes in similarly to, to Rigby and it's like they have a handful of problems. They're not super aggressive, but you know, they're just kind of crazy and they're not listening well we bring them in for two to four weeks we work with them the dog is a gem absolute gem perfect does everything that they need and then we hand the leash back off to the owner there's some natural regression that happens with every dog um, because you're not a handler you're not a trainer you're not a professional and then after a couple weeks the dog can immediately regress if you don't put in the work so I just think um, you could do it, but you're going to have to put in the work. I mean, because a dog, you know, he's still a young dog. He's three or four years old. Um, you know, he, he needs mental and physical exercise every single day in order to be successful. He needs, um, he needs uh, thresholds. He needs training. Um, he needs a lot of different things. And he also needs... Um, you know, I know you said you just ordered the prong collar, which is going to make, um, your life easier. But look, here's the thing, Peggy, is if you have a dog that can behave really well with somebody else, and then a week later goes right back to where they were, that is a very clear variable of 
you not doing what needs to be done for the dog to be happy and obedient and, you know, listening. So those are just things like, in my opinion, I would contact the trainer or really get back into the training that has made this dog be successful. And like he does really well for a week and then back to square one, that's because of you, right? So anytime, like if I was a personal trainer and I got you into the best shape of your life and then I'm like, all right, follow these rules, structure and diet and you know, you'll be fine. And I leave. And then two weeks later, you're back to right where you were has nothing to do with the trainer has nothing to do with the dog has everything to do with what you're doing to continue to be successful with the dog. So that's my recommendation right now. He's a puller. Um, he's not getting, you know, so that's training. Like you want to get your prong collar, that's definitely going to help. Um, but it just seems like you don't have the time. It's the, it doesn't matter like how good you are as a trainer. Like if I had three dogs and I spent an hour with them accumulated, they're going to be shit. They're not going to be happy. Um, they may listen because my obedience is going to be very concentrated and good, but they're not going to be happy. They're going to be miserable. They might as well be in a shelter. So you just have to make sure that you're putting enough time to get the mental and physical energy out. And you have to go through training to keep this dog happy. Like, if you can bring your your dog over, you should be focusing on the training and mental physical st- stimulation. If you can get your dog obedient enough to get your dog around the grandkids, you'd be fine. Like you know, from what you're saying here, oh my, uh, he's out of he's out of control when we're around the little ones. That is only because of how you're handling him. Hundred one, I bet my life on it. I bet my entire life on it. That so, and you got to ask yourself, Peggy. Like you have to audit. Well, could my trainer get my dog behaved around the grandkids? If the answer is yes, that way you can have your cake and eat it too. Then you just have to step up to the plate and and do better at training. That's all there is to it. Or if you're like, I don't have that time, then you should rehome the dog because it, it seems like your dog just needs a little bit of direction and can probably mold into your life really easy. And if you do that, then you'll have both of the things that you want. But if you can't simply do that, then, you know, your dog's just, you know, withering away, like sitting there waiting for you to get home. And of course, we're peeing and pooping in the house because you're gone for more than a work hour day, right? So I know things happen and it's, you got to do what you got to do. But I'm just saying like, there's work that has to be put in in order to see an outcome that you want. And if you can't do that work, you'll, you'll never see it. So there's no, you know, secret here. There's no magic switch. It's just the fact that the dog isn't getting enough work, enough quality work. And like I said, I'd be willing to bet my whole career that if I spent one day with the dog, I can get him around the grandkids without the dog knocking them over, working on the downstays, working on the leave it's, uh, all that stuff. But you, you just, you don't have from, you know, Oh, he, we trained for a week and he's great. And then in a week, right back to nothing. That's has nothing to do with anything but you. It's the same thing, like I said before, that we tell our board and trained people. Is we're going to get your dog, our clients, we're going to get your dog to this point, everything that you wanted, but your dog's not a computer. Your dog is a human or your dog is an animal. And if you do all the things that created the problem in the first place, after we fix everything and change everything, your dog is going to go right back to it. 
I don't care how much money you give us. I don't care how much time your dog has spent with us. If you don't follow through, your dog will not change. It'll go, you'll be wasting your time and money. So that's my suggestion. All right, Kim, uh, good morning. Can you give us some guidance on working with distractions such as when a dog is highly reacted to squirrels in the yard? I live on two acre property on fence and she's taken out a leash and a prong collar. I have worked through distractions with people and dogs, but a squirrel, you can't always plan on and where it's going to happen. Currently, is she going off the grid? Currently, she will go off the grid screaming maybe and pulling until it's gone. Damn near choking out and taking my arm out of socket, 100%, no awareness of anything else. So that's the problem. Um, your dog is pulling you, um, and that's it, Kim. That's a very simple fix. Um, should take no more than 10 minutes. Um, you should be working on your heel, uh, around distractions to make sure that your dog has some sort of job right now. You're out with your dog. Your dog sees a squirrel and drags you down the road, pulling them, pulling your arm out of your socket and choking themselves out. So yeah, um, you have to work on your heel. So the first thing I would ask is how good is your heel? How good is your leave it? And right now it's not good enough to be handling these situations. So your obedience and your objective isn't matching the work that you've put in, right? So what you're doing is, is you're waking up and you're like, Hey, I've never ridden a bike before. I'd really like to, I'm going to go enter the tour de France. And then you're like, man, I got smoked. Yeah, of course you got smoked. You don't have any foundation. So your dog is choking themselves out, pulling your arm out of socket. That's that's the reason why your dog continues to chase squirrels. Your dog is always going to want to go after squirrels, always going to be interested in squirrels. That's like, that's always going to happen, right? And you go out with a leash and prong, and as soon as your dog sees a squirrel, you get almost dragged off your feet. That's the problem. You have to stop it right there. So you have to work on um, all of your corrections. You have to make sure that your timing is good. You have to make sure that your your handling is good. Um, but that's the first place to start is the prong collar will not work. If your dog is pulling against it, you have to correct the dog before they get to the end of the prong in order for it to be successful. And you can't just sit there and just say, hey, stop pulling, stop doing this. Give your dog something to do. You have to audit. How good is your heel? How good is your recall? How good is your inside turns, your outside turns, um, all these things. Uh, work on that and then get back to us. Faith, I have an eight-month-old Border Collie Aussie Cross. Uh, hope this dog is working. <laughs> she was very skittish when we got her. She has definitely come out of her shell and bounced to a happy team pup. Obedience has really helped her out open fast, starting to push boundaries. I have two questions. First, she is still strong danger with new things that frighten her. Example is when um, we got a little bark and gruff when we walk past people. I know her in a heel walking past people and correct her pop on the leash and then she continued to walk by like nothing is wrong after she's passed them she stops her little bark and is paying attention to me i will break her and continue walking and letting her smell stuff another example is we walked past someone mowing and she was terrified scrambled under my feet until i almost fell she was in a heel uh, is there anything i could do to help her pass these things so i would just say that um you should you should uh if this is a confidence thing you have an eight you're going through an eight month old period with one of the high caliber dogs of all time you have a border collie and an aussie mix that dog is not 
not they're not good pets they they are not good pets they don't they're not going to do well in a normal house they need a lot of work they need a lot of outletting they need a lot of job they need a lot of structure they need a lot of guidance they need a ton of boundaries so in this equation in this situation i would just help your dog neutralize around these things that we're fearful of so getting around people without getting close um, hanging out around this lawnmower without getting too close, helping your dog through these situations and how to handle. I would be doing uh, inside out, just all of my dismantlement exercises that I've talking about for years around these things. Don't pass necessarily. I would be passing and coming back and passing and coming back and passing and coming back. These are the things that are going to help build confidence with your dog. Um, so if you pass the lawnmower and your dog's terrified, that's just... Um, that's just something that your dog's like, I can't handle this. And obviously a lawnmower in somebody's yard being pushed by a different human should nothing that shouldn't that shouldn't do that to your dog. That's just a confidence thing. It's likely a genetic thing because you have a dog that would do much better without being in a house, would do much better living on a farm, um, doing work. So um so yeah, so so that's what you'd have to do is you'd have to really get into like um, you know, okay, my dog is terrified of the mowing guy. We walk by you, that equation is probably 30 seconds at the absolute most, right? So you have no chance to really get better at it because you're walking past and that's all it is. I would be walking past and walking back and walking past and walking back and walking past and just gr- like getting that tight muscle out. If you will, you have to, you have to really work at it to get it out. And that's important. And if you're not, then you only have one opportunity every other day to really work on the things that you're you know, need to build. This is just a confidence thing. It's all it is. It's not a problem with people. It's not a pl- problem with lawnmowers. It's the fact that your dog's like, "What's that? Who is that? What do I do with that?" And you have to um, handle around these situations and these environments um, for your dog to be successful. And so you just got to build confidence in that. Um, so hang out in those areas a lot longer, um, using lots of positive reinforcement. And I just dropped my ring, and I have idea where it went it probably went down the freaking thing with my luck anyway um yeah and then second question she seems to get bored when we were working on obedience (gasps) no way yeah she does things perfectly and um in a non-low distraction and on high distraction she walks beside the little bark being terrified of new things started her on the remote collar just a few times and she's getting bored um, are there games? So again, like, I'm going to be honest with you, Faith. <laughs> uh, your eight-month-old Australian Shepherd Border Collie mix is getting bored is is exactly what I would expect from a dog that's not in a working house. And I don't mean that to be mean or disrespectful by any means. My job is to be honest. Um before I even read your second question, I told you right after our first sentence was this dog better be working. So again, uh, faith, same thing. I told this guy that came in with an intact eight month old Tibetan Mastiff. These are not good pets. They're not going to be super happy in a pet home. They can be. It's totally possible. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in general, um, these are high caliber, very, 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 working line dogs and they are going to get bored by doing mundane obedience pet dog stuff because they're not supposed to be doing any of that stuff you see dogs uh, people who have these types of dogs are in agility 
So you can get into agility, you can get into fast cat, you can get into rally, you can get into AKC obedience, anything to keep your dog working. So, she, so first sentence, she seems to get bored when we are working on obedience. I have an eight-month-old Border Collie Australian uh, Australian dog. I don't even know what kind of Aussie. I guess it could be Australian cattle dog. It could be Australian shepherd. But I'm assuming Aussie would be Australian shepherd. But regardless, man, very intense dog that you have. So games, no. I would just say get into something that you can do with your dog several times a week to keep them working. And I listed them out before. But yeah. Next one, Sarah. Hey, Tom, thanks for answering my question last week about my four-year-old reactive healer. Your answer is spot on. He is definitely lunging and reacting faster because he is opportunistic and tries to outsmart us. Um, He tried this past week changing the way I handle him and I feel like I hit a wall because once he spots the dog, even when I do all the turns, heel work, he is still locked in. Okay. I almost feel like once I do the turns, I have to run away from the other dogs to get him to settle down. Um, resetting him now feels impossible, although uh, more practice is needed. Listen to the Leash Reactivity podcast and got some valuable insight there. My question is with a dog like this, do you think the e-collar would be the best tool? It could be. If you feel like, Sarah, your dog is just like absolutely locked in and you're doing everything that you can to disengage the dog, using the dog trick, Tom Davis 280C pager will definitely help dismantle that if the dog is like absolutely locked in. So you can have your cake and eat it too. You start to go out, you do your dismantlement, you start to see like, okay, the dog's engaged, but then they just get close enough where they're absolutely locked in. Um, no physical correction, no obedience, no tools, no no um, toys, no food, nothing can break this dog. Um, the pager, which is just the vibrate on the, on the e-collar, which is the same as like a vibrate on your cell phone, can definitely... Uh, discourage and um, disrupt that build. Um, just a quick little leave it like that. Um, if you're at that point, you know, like I said, it's kind of hard to know exactly what where you're at. Um, but that's what I would that's what I would suggest uh, with that is you could definitely get to that point where you're just using that e collar. If you're doing everything right and you're, I mean, you have a you know a healer again. It's the same thing that we talked about earlier. Um, with faith is like, you know, these are working dogs. So if you don't give them something to do, then they will take it upon themselves to work. Um, and in some cases, um, you know, that's, that's what that means. Unfortunately, is they're like, well, I got, excuse me, we got nothing else to do. Uh, let's, uh, you know, let's, um, you know, heal the dogs, heal the other dogs around and things like that. So, um, yeah. So, so the answer is yes, you could, you could use that. Um, if that's the, if that's the point, uh, where you're at, where you feel like you're doing all the right things. Absolutely. Um, okay, cool. So I am muted. I am muted. Mm, sorry about that guys. I got a little muted anyway. Uh, it's a pleasure hanging out with you guys. Uh, we have a lot of videos coming up. We have like, geez, like seven new uh, YouTube videos that we're working on. Plus, we're about to go do, go do Canada. It's going to be eight dogs at each spot. Typically, we'll probably film four of those. So there's another eight. We got a lot of stuff coming at you. Um, so anyway, hope to see some of you guys in Canada. Uh, I'm excited to get up there. And uh, we're definitely not doing Canada again this year. Um maybe we'll do another part of Canada next year, but, um, 
So I'm excited to get up there and do some work. And then uh, we're going to the we're going to London again um, in September, and so that's going to be fun. The tickets will be announced on June 1st, so don't you worry. So all right, you guys, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, joining me this week and being in the members club and supporting the No Bad Dog movement. And I hope you guys enjoy this. And I'll talk to you maybe next week. We might take a week off because I'll be traveling, but we'll do the best we can. And thank you guys. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.